you get a bunch of volunteer EMTs in a room. There's going to be some joking around. So you know these three guys don't have good hair? <laughs> <laughs> I actually, my hair is perfect every day. I wake up, it's the same. Last week, a group of EMTs with the Massapequa Fire Department pulled up a couple chairs in the Parkhouse Ambulance Bay, a safe distance apart, to talk about what they're seeing with coronavirus. That included Chief Kevin Stansberry and a whole crew. I'm Kevin Kennedy. Scott, E-A-R-L-A-T-O-R-E. Tom Burke, rescue company captain. And Jennifer Felix. Uh, Rob Kennedy. So I'm an EMT, okay. and I've been in the department almost six years. I'm an EMT. I've been in about 12 years. I'm EMT. Been here a year and a half. I'm the oldest probie. <laughs> Off the clock, these guys have other jobs and identities. Uh, I'm a doctor of acupuncture. I'm retired uh, FDNY. I'm a teacher at Floral Park High School. Okay. What do you do? Um, special ed slash science. Uh, I own a doggy daycare and boarding facility. In uh, Farmingdale, and uh, my other one's in Hicksville. On the job, they serve about 14 square miles. It's it's Massapequa, East Massapequa. You probably know the event. Massapequa, Massapequa Park. Yeah. In normal times, they're responsible for a certain number of calls. They'll get paged in and run to the ambulance and get sent out on all sorts of runs. You got people falling, people having a heart attack, car crashes, overdoses, sometimes combinations. You'd be doing three things at once. So now you're, you're managing bleeding wounds and you're giving them sugar and you're just, you know, so a lot of hands moving right. at the same time, you know, for patient care. These days, wildly, things are even busier for them and the Nassau County Police Ambulance Bureau, who also respond to calls in their area. That's because of all the COVID or COVID-suspected patients they're taking to hospitals. If you walk into one of those emergency departments now, it looks like you're on the moon. It's just plastic. And you walk down tunnels and you got to squeeze into each room. And it's, it's really kind of, uh, you know, unique to see now. So when the first time you went in there and you saw that, it was pretty shocking. You were like, you didn't even know where you were. Mm-hmm. Plastic sheets everywhere. Everybody's, it's just tunnels. And you walk through the tunnels of plastic. You know, like every quarantine type movie you've ever yeah, seen? Exactly. That's what the hospitals look like. It's not pretty in there. And even if something doesn't appear to be a COVID call, that might change quickly. Hey, yeah, first the COVID calls that came in, it's very stressful. But now every call is stressful because we have, uh, for instance, yesterday we had pretty much just a dialysis patient that needed transport. So we were kind of calm, but then it turned out that he had symptoms for COVID. He had a fever, cough. They didn't tell us there's a language barrier. So we weren't really prepared for that call. Yeah, the one this morning actually was uh, injuries from a fall was the call. When we got there, she was in and out of consciousness, altered mental status. So we dealt with that medically. Then as we got her on the ambulance, her oxygen levels were very, very low. And her pulse ox was at 80%, 94 is the lowest. That we, you know, anything under that's a problem. So she turned out to be a COVID patient, even though she had no cough, no fever, no travel. You know, it went from a simple fall to altered mental to COVID. We never know. I'm Mark Chisano, and this is our 10th episode of Life Under Coronavirus, an oral history podcast about how Long Islanders are dealing with and helping each other through the pandemic. EMTs are sometimes the first contact patients have with the healthcare system. It's a key link, and it's putting a lot of pressure on the responders. Generally, 
Uh, we have about 20 members, 20 to 25 members that are actively responding. When it's not in an emergency situation like this, we just kind of respond whenever our pagers go off and we have a minimum requirement we have to make. Oh, so you're at home. Yeah, you're at home yeah. and you're just responding from home whenever you have the ability. Um, but right now, with the state of emergency that we're in, we are running 24-hour duty crews. Some members aren't as active due to situations at home, an elderly relative, say, who they don't want to endanger. That means a lot of hours for others. I'm for on some, call for 42 hours. Yeah, I did 36 last week, so <laughs> I didn't even bother counting because it's probably somewhere between them. Yeah. We've been riding the ambulance a lot lately. There's also a complicated flowchart of choices that the volunteers are now making when they respond to calls. So I would say recently it's a lot of like difficulty breathing. Um, and now it's our job to figure out if this patient does need to go to the hospital or if it's something that is not necessarily can be fixed at a hospital, if that's the right way. Um, we're kind of tasked with um, determining who's being brought to the hospital and not. Um, we have a flow chart um, asking people a lot of questions to determine if they go or not. Um, you know, there's a lot of COVID symptoms, you know, the difficulty breathing, fevers, sick people. Um, and then we have some people who are saying chest pain and then we're getting them into the back of the ambulance and now they're telling us, oh, I also have a fever, I also have. So, um, but I would say most right now are, are difficulty breathing. Calls. And what is that flow chart? Where is like? We keep it on the ambulance. That, that's a, a triage system that the state recently passed down um, so on a call, we can, we can educate the patient and say, look, just by going to the hospital, you may be putting yourself at risk. They understand now that the hospitals aren't allowing visitors. So based on the triage, if they meet certain characteristics, we can now give them the option of riding it out at home, maybe calling their doctor, where under normal circumstances, you know, we would definitely be transporting them. As the health crisis deepens, the EMTs have had shifting mandates as they respond. And now they're basically wearing personal protective equipment all the time, trying to make it last as long as possible, like other healthcare workers. Originally, we were standing outside six feet away from whoever would open the door for us, and we'd have to say, oh, is there any fever? Has anyone met with anyone? Anyone positive in the house? So originally, we were doing that. Now, since we are wearing full PPE to every call, we're kind of just going in and I mean we're still asking questions before we enter but we're, we're more prepared I guess so we're definitely more bundled up wow. it makes you feel a little bit further away from people but we're giving the patients masks to wear yeah. no matter what because yeah. um, you don't know what they have you know often they find themselves having to tell families that's it stop at the door you can't come with us honestly sometimes it's harder to tell the family that the family thinks like they're grabbing their keys and their stuff and you have to tell them no you can't come um, I think that's like, like I had that happen in the beginning. It, she was probably like in her 80s and her husband went in for something for cardiac and she couldn't stay with him. And that was a little sick, you know, knowing that she wasn't going to be with her husband. But hospitals and nursing homes are not allowing visitors in. If you're a patient, you're coming in by yourself. That abrupt departure can be hard on the EMTs too hard most of the times in EMS you never really find out what happens to the patients which can, in a situation like this can almost make it easier because you don't know what happened <laughs> you know it's hard so unless we actively check up on them which we can't do right now because they're so overwhelmed and busy 
you know, we never really find out. So it's easier, I guess, to not think about that, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because yeah, once they're there, we turn them over and it's on to the next call. Sometimes we could get two, three calls back to back, you know, so we drop them and we head to the next one. Not physically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, speak for yourself. <laughs> It can be easy to forget that these are volunteers, despite them working what is basically a second job after hours. They still have excitement for the gig, though, like when they talked about what it's like to actually drive the ambulance. It's actually it's pretty stressful. It's a little fun because you're like, I get to go through lights yeah. you know, safely, obviously, caution. <laughs> but then you're like, oh my gosh, but I have people in the back that I have to make sure right. I fly around here. So. Right. <laughs> these days, the streets are empty, and sometimes that's good for driving an ambulance quickly but also kind of eerie. It was really cool at 3 o'clock in the morning the other day when we had a call. It was, our ambulance was going one way and another ambulance was going another way. And I was like, you know what? Right now I'm pretty happy with just two ambulances on the road. I'm very happy to see that. It was kind of cool and kind of creepy. Beyond outfitting themselves in gear and trying to follow procedures carefully, the volunteers are trying to keep themselves safe at home. My wife yells to me every time I come in the door, wash your hands, you know. Um, but we, you know, like Jen said, we are, we feel protected, we feel safe with our equipment, and that equipment is going in the garbage, our gear is staying here, we don't feel like we're bringing that home. We'll just take our regular precautions, hand washing, and, um... I do shower because of my hair. I yeah. just wear, you know, my hair so I take a shower after a shower. But pretty much we, de we decon ourselves and the ambulance um, after every call. So... Um, and our gear stays here, we don't bring anything home. I have a daughter who lives at home, she's 29, she's high risk, she has heart problems. So she's a school teacher who's home like the captain here. And I do isolate myself from her. Other than sitting at a dinner table, you know, we sit at opposite ends. You know, I'll sit on either end of the couch of her or I'll stay in another room just to be safe. You know, just because I don't know. And I wouldn't want to be the one to give it to her because she's got some you know, bad medical problems. So, yeah, I do find myself, you know, self-isolating without actually saying it to her. No, you know, she doesn't even know that I'm avoiding her, you know. So we keep our distance. She's your daughter, so she hopes you avoid Yeah, she doesn't, <laughs> like, she, she doesn't like my jokes. A sense of humor helps in this kind of work, clearly. But joking aside, the EMTs had a serious message to the people they serve. They're stretched thin, so it would be great if people might think twice about calling if it's something minor. If it's an emergency, of course, they're there. They're heading your way. But sometimes they get minor calls. We just said that the public know what we're going through. And if it's an emergency, call us. But if it's not an emergency, think twice. If someone's at the table and they're turning through a call, yeah. but if someone has a toothache, what do you call? Now I'm telling you. At 3 a.m. All the time. <laughs> you ever get a call at 3 a.m. because you're constipated? Personally, not quite that often. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I'm just saying, I'm very serious, though. This is what we deal with. There are, of course, lots of more serious calls. You know, people ask me all the time, oh, are you scared? Are you nervous? I'm not nervous because I have, I, I have these people with me who are trained, and we have the correct gear. So there's really nothing to be nervous about. You know, these calls now, I've been on the plenty of calls with these guys, and I mean, we've got it down. We know what we're doing, we help each other out, and everything goes pretty smooth. 
Thanks for listening to Life Under Coronavirus. If you know of someone we should be covering, or you want to share your own experience about coronavirus in New York, leave us a voicemail with your name and phone number at 631-213-1543. That's 631-213-1543 with your message to the Opinion Department's Life Under Coronavirus podcast. We may use your message as the basis for a future episode. Amanda Ficina is our producer, and once again, I'm Mark Chisano from Newsday Opinion. Stay healthy. See you next time.